Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Spring deals at Ross will have you saying, it's a yes for me. Say yes to trending looks like tube tops, dad shorts, and miniskirts for less than online, or vintage tees and beach shorts for a weekend getaway. With all the styles to choose from, there's a yes around every corner. Because saving money and looking good is what you do. It's a yes for you and your bank account. Hit up Ross for your certified yes for me moment. If we're not seeing them through the lens of the file, then we can better see them through the lens of how God sees them as beloved children of God. And then we're interacting with the foster care differently. We're probably interacting with the foster care system more, which is what is needed because there are kids who need, need homes in Texas right now. They're over in, in Dallas. There's over 200 kids sleeping in, in hotel rooms right now. Um, and that's like, you know, that is just like a, a pipeline for human trafficking. And so if we can get people to look at the foster care system differently as to see those children as God sees them, then we're going to begin to, to change it, to get more involved and to get children in homes. You're listening to She with Jordan Lee Dooley, a personal development podcast for the everyday woman. Come invited, leave ignited. Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. Welcome to She. Thank you so much for having me on, Jordan. Oh, absolutely. I am so looking forward to this conversation. I think it's actually a really necessary one. And I'm really thankful that you're willing Mm -hmm. to share your story and your experience. And I just love the work that you're doing. So let's start there. I would love to just hear a little bit of your story, both your story growing up in the foster care system and then becoming a foster and adoptive mom and now an author. Can you just walk us through kind of the overview of what that's been? I know that's probably a very long story, but um, (laughs) share whatever you're willing to share. Yeah, I first went into the foster care system when I was three years old, and that was due to a drug bust. I was reunited with my mom, which is one of the roles of the foster care system. You know, some people believe that the role of the foster care system is purely like reunification. Some people believe it's purely adoption. I believe it's just to make families whole, however that happens. And so in that situation, I went back with my mom, but as she got older, as time went on, her mental illness got worse. And so I had to re-enter the foster care system as an adolescent. And this time I went in with my sister. She's 10 years younger than me. And I thought this is, I, I honestly was really excited about it. I thought it was kind of a good thing, like a way that we could escape the abuse that was happening in our home. But then within a month of being in the system, my sister and I were separated And I moved through many homes, 12 homes total throughout my entire time in foster care. And that was really hard. I felt super displaced. I felt like no one wanted me. And those labels, I feel like I still kind of wrestle with, like unwanted, unloved. And then I was a part of a community that started to encourage me. I had a track coach who kind of played this role of a father figure. And there was a lot that happened in a very short amount of time that really changed the trajectory of my life. I got mentors. I became a four-time state champion in track and field, and that allowed me to go to scholarship on a full ride. And then I, I you know, I just saw, like, I had all these opportunities that other youth in foster care do not have. And I got to experience 
a lot of love and uh, care that just kids who come from hard places don't always have. And I knew that that's what put me in a place of really in a place of privilege. Like I, I had, I got, had the opportunity to go to college and I wanted to be able to, I guess I wanted to not waste the gift that God had given me. And so I think since college, I really started to feel this weight on my shoulders to do something with all that God has given me. Um, it's kind of like the scripture to whom much is given, much is required. And so I, I just wanted to, to give back. And, you know, of course, we can never outgive God. We can never repay what he has done for us. But I do think that as Christians, we're called to live a life that glorifies him. Um, and we're called to radically love people so that they say, why are you doing this? And then the only answer is Jesus. And so my husband and I, um, we've fostered, we've brought people into our home from all different walks of life. And yeah. And it, we just started kind of doing foster care advocacy in many different, many different realms, whether that's speaking, policy advocacy, or my book. You have quite the story. And I'm just so thankful for how openly you've shared it. And even the fact that you've put a lot of this into a book, which is just such an important resource and such a great tool for people to have access to. Can you tell mm-hmm. us the name of the book for those who are not familiar with your with your work? Yeah, the book is called Fostered, One Woman's Powerful Story of Finding Faith and Family Through Foster Care. It's so funny, Jordan and I like wrote that book for the kid in foster care. I was like, I'm going to write this book because I needed this book. Like, I need to know that there's a purpose and plan for my life, that there are people and a God who loves me. And then um, just what you said, it ended up being a resource to foster parents and people who want to help kids from hard places. And I couldn't have done that on my own. That was just God writing that story for me. Absolutely. I believe that. I mean, I think it can serve both purposes, you know, of course, but I think getting to have, you know, for families who want to foster, who may not have grown up in the foster system or who don't have any other experience other than maybe being foster families, getting to hear from the perspective of someone who has been through the foster system and being able to pass that on, but also just kind of understand where children from hard places can be coming from, I think just is so important. I'm really thankful you wrote it. I would be curious too, now that you, you know, I, I think you, sh- you touched on this a little bit with some of the things you and your husband are doing by welcoming people into your home and fostering and adopting and all that you've been involved in, advocacy, et cetera. But my next question was kind of going to be like, how do you think that growing up or, you know, spending a large part of your adolescent years and childhood in the foster system, how do you feel like that shaped who you are today? Yeah, there's so many pieces to that. I really do think that the foster care system, like other than being a child of God, like that has shaped my identity more than anything else. Um, I think that when you live with so many different people so intimately, you, I, I saw that people really do believe what they believe, like not because they are, you know, they're like malicious or unkind or bad. Like usually people believe what they believe for really good reason. And so I think it has caused me to be pretty accepting of just people from all different kinds of walks of life. Like I can be sitting with someone and completely disagree with them, but not be uncomfortable and and I think I can love them well and be their friend. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if it wasn't for uh, my adolescence, if I would be able to do that. And I think what experiencing so much hurt in the system um, and seeing kids go through really hard things. You know, I grew up hearing 
horrendous stories of things that happened to my foster siblings um, and myself. And I think that that gifted me, it was really God gifted me with empathy uh, for people. And I think it goes back to really understanding that people are the way they are for a reason. If we knew someone's full story, we would probably have a lot more, a lot less anger and a lot more understanding and compassion for those people. And we would treat people a lot better. So, um, just kind of always remembering, you know, if I'm not treated well, remembering, remembering that's probably has nothing to do with me and everything to do with that, whatever that person has been through, like people's reactions to us usually have very little to do with us and everything to do with the life that they've been handed. And then, so I think it's, um, made me understanding. Yeah, that's, I completely understand what you're saying. I mean, not in the same way, obviously, but I think your analysis of that makes so much sense. And when you do have exposure to so many different lifestyles and like you said, living intimately with people in a way that most people never experience, you know, you grow up with the family you grew up in, in many cases, and that's what you know. And when you're exposed to so much more than that, I can imagine that can create a little bit of a a confusion as you're going through it. But at the same time, it, it does really help you better understand the different walks of life people come from, what may be influencing the way that they're acting, believing, et cetera, um, yeah. which is really in so many ways a gift, even though it may have not felt like a gift, you know, through the process, um, because so many of us don't even get the opportunity to have that understanding until much later in life. So um, I'm thankful you shared that. I'd be curious if we can talk a little bit about what the Bible has to say about the church's role in helping care for the vulnerable, including children who are in the foster care system. Um, can you just speak to that from kind of what you've learned, what you've studied, and also what you've experienced? This has been something that has really been, I've just found this so exciting lately because I have taught on James one twenty seven. you know, here and there when I've had the opportunity to go speak and it's just always kind of ended there. Like religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the father is to do this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. But then like the scripture just ends like the chapter, chapter one just ends there. And so it's like, James, are you really not even going to give us any instruction Mm -hmm. on like how to care for the orphan and the widow? But I, I, when I graduated from college, I graduated with a Christian studies degree and I had no idea that I was going to be doing like what I'm doing now, like teaching and preaching and speaking. And I probably should have paid attention a lot more. <laughs> but the, the one thing that I remembered, and it was really like the, the one thing, the one thing I remembered is that those big numbers and those headings, you know, those were put in by the modern man. And so I was like, if we took this two out of here and we kept reading like, is James giving us instruction? And what James goes on to say is he instructs us not to choose favoritism, to treat the man who comes with, you know, gold, gold necklace and who has a lot of money to treat him the same as we would treat the, the poor man, to treat the poor man the same as we would treat the rich man. And the analogy or image that he gives us is to put the poor man in the same place that we would put the rich man. So he says, don't put the poor man at your feet. And I thought, this is like, this is the instruction of what, what God is calling us to is like, if say like, you know, if you have a nonprofit and a donor comes to your home, or if you have someone who like, uh, just someone who's wealthy and he's like, I, I need to stay at your house. Like you would make, you'd figure it out. Like you'd be like, okay, we're going to make a spot for you here. Yeah. Yeah. But if, if there was someone who was poor that came to your door, like, would you just give him 
Amelia and send him off. Um, and so I, I think that that, that scripture, it really does give us instruction for how to treat people. Um, how to, how do we care for children without parents? Um, it's really just that we create an equal space as we would for the rich man. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Okay. Kind of paralleling with that conversation, you know, I think myself included, many Christians speak up about the importance of pro-life and pro-life values, but I'd love if we can dig into what that can look like to live out and what we can do for those who are facing unwanted or unplanned pregnancies. I'd be curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. You know, I might make some people mad here, but like being pro-life is just like believing that life has inherent dignity, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And it's caring you know, and then we say, okay, well, how do we do it? But like being pro-life is just believing that people have inherent dignity, no matter what. And we want to preserve that life. And then, then we can ask the question, how do we do that? If, and I think people get angry at that because it's like, if you're not a foster parent, if you're not an adoptive parent, you can still be pro-life. If you're not involved in social justice things uh, outside of the pro-life movement, like you are still, the pro-life movement is still a movement that is one worth fighting for. Um, And so I I think that there are ways that we can advance the movement. Mm -hmm. We have to care for women who are pregnant unexpectedly. And, you know, especially in the church, we have a way that we believe people should get pregnant and that's in marriage. And so if women get pregnant outside of that, we have to celebrate the life no matter what. And that doesn't mean we celebrate the sin, but we have to celebrate the life and we have to love that mother and that family and that child despite the expectations that we hoped for and I do think that foster care and adoption is an amazing way like to advance the pro-life movement when Roe v. Wade when everything was happening with that I remember so many influencers and people saying like now we get to work and even as a pro-life person it was like I get what you're saying but like the work actually should have already been being done. Um, and we have to acknowledge that and in and, and grace and in love with one another, we have to acknowledge that and then just, just move forward and, and do the work of taking, taking families and children in and loving them well. And I would be curious, your th- I mean, I agree with all of that. And I do, I'd be curious if your take, what your take is on this. I think sometimes there's this idea, like this narrative of like, well, if you're not fostering, you must not be pro-life, you know, or whatever. If you're not like adopting, you must not be pro-life. And it's like, I'd be curious your thought on the roles because becoming a foster family or an adoptive family are two big roles that you can play in supporting women and supporting vulnerable children. But there's also a lot of other ways that you could support those who are doing that, even if you yourself are not in a position to become a foster family or take in an adoptive child right now or whatever that might be. And I think just even being aware of those things, whether that's providing respite care or meals to foster families or donating in different ways, like there's various ways to get involved. And I think sometimes we get like tunnel vision. So I'm curious what your thought is on that too. Yes. And yeah, there's there's so many things you can do to be involved in the foster care system. Um, I always encourage people, if you're a part of a church, to go to the people in leadership and say, hey, who are the foster and adoptive parents in here? And can I just make them a meal once a week? Yeah. And you're probably going to get the answer of like, I, I don't know the foster families. And like, that's a great place to start because you're like, oh, well, we, we need to get to know them because our be church them. Yes. and our community, like we need to wrap around them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
that's that's a great way to start. Um, kind of like a, some people call it like a, adopt a family. Mm-hmm. Another thing I know you do this, Jordan, is Safe Families, mm-hmm. and it's an organization that you're a part of, and you take in children for short times before they before they enter the foster care system. So it's like preventing them from entering, and you're kind of caring for the child and the family so that the foster care system and the government doesn't have to come and intervene. Uh, respite care is a really awesome way to like dip your toes, like really, truly dip your toes in the foster care system. Cause you have to get all the same certification that a foster parent has to get, but you do the same thing similar to safe families. Um, you take children in for short time. They're already in the foster care system usually, but you're giving foster parents a break, or sometimes you're giving biological parents a break. So you're doing that preventative work. Yep. Again, and when you're doing respite and stuff like safe families, kind of dipping your toes in, you, you're kind of asking yourself the question, like, is this for our family? Could we actually foster long term? Yeah, I will say like it's, you know, doing safe families and I know in certain areas and I don't know how this applies state by state, but I know um, I've also heard like sometimes safe families, families are used as respite for foster families um, if they're, you know, if they have the proper training. So it's been really interesting to kind of learn about that. But through my safe families experience, that was kind of where we wanted to start because we've always felt and, you know, loved the idea of foster care and adoption and all of that is something we've always felt called to. But, you know, it can be one of those things where you're like, okay, well, let's start somewhere. And that was the most practical place for us to start in that season of our life. And we learned so much. We have learned so much. We continue to learn so much. And it's really been an eye-opening experience in so many ways. And so I definitely agree. I think for anyone who might be just curious about it, but maybe you have a spouse who's a little bit resistant to it in this season, or maybe you just, you know, have, you're just not in the place where you feel like you can fully commit to potentially taking in a child for foster care for a year, you know, starting with something like respite care or safe families can be a helpful way to, like you said, dip your toe in the in the water of that world and kind of get involved and be a really pivotal role without necessarily committing a year of your life at, at a time, you know? Um, and that's that can be just as important and just as impactful. So I'm thankful that you explained that. Did you see? My new book, Embrace Your Almost, is officially out in the world and I can't believe it's available to you anywhere books are sold. You can grab it from Amazon or Target or Barnes & Noble or Books A Million. There's some special editions out there too. Target has an exclusive edition. Barnes & Noble and Books A Million both have signed editions. And you can also get it at local independent bookstores. Anywhere books are sold, you should be able to find it. So if you are walking through a season of unmet expectations or disappointment or broken dreams or waiting or uncertainty, this book will bless your life. If you are not in one of those seasons, but you're just not entirely sure what's next for you, this book will bless your life. And if you have a loved one or a friend or a sister who's walking through a season like that, who's dealing with unmet expectations or broken dreams or uncertainty or waiting, this book will be such a great gift for her or something to pass on to her. So if that sounds like something you need or something a loved one in your life needs, grab a copy. Grab a copy from Amazon. Grab a copy from Barnes & Noble, from Target, from anywhere books are sold. I cannot wait to hear what you think. And I cannot wait to not only get this message in your hands, but also for you to pass on this message and share it because I believe it's more than a message. It's a movement. So as you listen, as you go about your day, I would love for you to put it in order, grab a copy and start reading as soon as it arrives at your door. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. With two little kids, I do most of my shopping online now, but it can be so hard to shop for things like clothes online because I never know if I'm getting good quality until it arrives. The game changer, upgrading to high quality, affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have luxury essentials that transition from one occasion to the next, and I stayed on budget. Quince has so many options to choose from, like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. One of my favorite items from Quince is the silk pajamas I got. They are so high quality, luxury pajamas, but not at a luxury price tag. And I just feel like they don't even compare to some of the other pajamas that I have bought online or that I've bought um, just at various different stores. And like, these are incredible. Indulge in affordable luxury by going to quince.com slash she for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash she to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash she. Thrive Market is a go-to for all your grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to your doorstep is a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and you can use their on-site filters to suit your lifestyle needs. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks, low-sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. And when you shop Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for- one membership matching program. You join and they give. I use Thrive Market every single month. I get our dish detergent, dish soap, and various other just basic household essentials that are low-tox and non-tox ingredients, and it is the easiest way to get all of my favorite clean items sent right to my door at an affordable price, I should add. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash she for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash she. Thrivemarket.com slash she. I think that the foster care system, the marketing is a bit off. It's like, Mm -hmm. um, it's all just like be a foster parent. And what that's saying is, dive into the deep end off this high dive mm-hmm. versus like, what if we ask families to do something really natural and be like, actually let's start being a mentor, start yeah. being an advocate or start with like safe families or respite. And then like, you really do just grow, grow into it. Like you, like we really do anything that we're good in, in life. Like, you know, whether that's, I think social media, like influencing the things that we do is a great example. Like you don't start like with all the merch or with all of like, Right. the book like right. you start with a small platform and then you grow into it yes. and so really respite 
respite, foster care is the same thing, just like we would do with any job. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good uh, comparison. Okay. So in your book, you talk about the church being radically hospitable, and I love this. Can you dig into what that means and what that looks like? Yeah. You know, I think the best way to explain it is when I was in the foster care system or kind of, I was just about to enter it. There was a woman, her name was Tanya, and she would come and take me and my sister when things would get dangerous, unsafe at my house. And she would make us a meal and take us to church. And she was like, just everything that I needed as a girl. She was gentle. She was kind. She would speak such nice words over me, which wasn't a common occurrence in my first family. And so she gave me all of these things that I needed. And then she took me to church. And I think if she just would have taken me to church, I don't know if I would, I'm sure God would have found me another way, but I don't know if I, I would know God. It was by showing me her life and the way she lived and letting me into her home that I really started to see like her character. I think there are things in her character that reflect this God character. And that's what attracted me to God. Um, It was her loving me that made me understand that God loves me. And she, me and my sister, we went in to the foster care system two days before Christmas. So like Christmas Eve, and she didn't want us to go into the system, you know, then because she was like, what if they don't have Christmas presents for them? And so we went to go be with her and she got us all these Christmas presents. And, you know, I mean, it was a lot. And I opened all of them and I was like, I would like to return these and I would like to get gift cards um, because I wanted stuff for my room for when I went into the system. And, you know, I think that would have been a really great opportunity for her to be like, no, like, that's not like, that's so ungrateful. But instead she said yes. And we sat in this long line at, in Walmart, like long return line the day after Christmas, got a bunch of stuff for my room. And then I still have a relationship with Tanya today. So I'm, I'm older now and I go to Tanya and I'm like, why did you let me do that? Like that was so ungrateful. And she just said, if I would have done anything else, it wouldn't have communicated love to you in that moment. And that kind of just like hospitality, welcoming people in, meeting people where they are. That's the kind of love that brought me to Jesus. And I think that that's what you know, if, if you're so, but that's what we're meant to do as Christians. We're supposed to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Ultimately, we're supposed to go and tell the gospel, the good news. And I think sometimes the best way to do that isn't to be like preachy, but to just live life in a way that is like radically hospitable, that lets people in, welcomes them in, them in where they are. And then they're going to start questioning us. Like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you so nice to me? Like I did her. I'm going to like question her. Why did you do that? And then like the only answer is like, because I loved you and I love you so much because Jesus loves me so much. And I want you to know that Jesus loves you. And when that's the answer, it's like, Oh, like I, I get it now. And I want, I want a part of that. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a story. And just like such a great example, you know, it's like she was willing to be inconvenienced and maybe even feel unappreciated to make sure you felt loved. And isn't that kind of what laying down your life looks like, you know? Yeah. Um, yes. um, so, so good. Thank you for sharing that. 
Okay, I want to change gears here a little bit because I want to talk a little bit about the actual system because I know you are known for being an advocate for foster care system reform. But what are some of the struggles that are being seen in the foster care system that some may not be aware of that you are, you know, advocating for reform for? I think the biggest um, kind of pain point in the system for kids is that they all have this foster care file that speaks to the worst things they've ever done the worst things that have ever been done to them. And the only thing that compares to that in our society is like an adult criminal. Like even when kids have a like criminal case, right? It can get expunged when they turn 18, they get a new beginning and they can start over. Um, and so we're really putting this very heavy weight on children and they, they don't get to start over. We are expecting kids to form strong bonds and relationships with their families, but they know that they're kind of digging themselves out of a hole, which is this file, this identity, and really healing. Like for me, I feel like identity has really began and ended my healing journey. Like I understand, like understanding who I am, that I'm created with a purpose and a plan, that I'm loved, even if other people kick me out of their home, that God has created a room for me and a kingdom. Like all of this is a part of my identity and it's helped me heal so much. Um, but if I had all these things that I didn't get to start over, like that continued to be a part of my identity and they were the worst things that I've ever done, the worst things that have ever happened to me, like it would just be so hard to carry. And we put that on. And that's how I felt in the system. Like I really didn't feel that freedom until after I emancipated and I didn't have this file. And so I think that we're putting this weight, you know, on kids as they enter homes, um, try to form bonds with families. And then we're wondering like, why aren't kids, why, why do kids still have trauma? Why do they have, why can't they establish permanency? And there are a lot, you know, there's so much that goes into healing trauma. It's, it's not just the file. Um, there's so much, but I think that if we can start with something, the file is a great place because it helps heal the child. And then it also helps us as a society, as people see foster youth differently. If we're not seeing them through the lens of the file, then we can better see them through the lens of how God sees them as beloved children of God. And then we're interacting with the foster care differently. We're probably interacting with the foster care system more, which is what is needed because there are kids who need need homes in Texas right now. They're over in, in Dallas. There's over 200 kids sleeping in, in hotel rooms right now. Um, and that's like, you know, that is just like a a pipeline for human trafficking. Yeah. And so if we can get people to look at the foster care system differently as to see those children as God sees them, then we're going to begin to to change it, to get more involved and to get children in homes. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Thank you for sharing. So the last question I wanted to touch on, which I think pairs really well with what you were just talking about with trauma and everything, but for those who may find themselves, you know, either in a mentor type role for a foster child or maybe as a foster parent or even a friend or, you know, older sibling or whatever, but especially those who are adults in the situation where they may have a relationship with a foster child. What advice do you have for addressing trauma or best addressing trauma that may come up for a foster child or even for ourselves as we are in these support roles, whether that's as a foster parent, as a mentor, et cetera, coach, maybe, you know, there's trauma, like you said, involved in a child's life who comes from hard places. What is your advice that you would give to somebody who's trying to support a child in that place? How can we best address that for them as well as for ourselves? 
I think that when you're a teenager, like you don't want unsolicited advice mm-hmm. or when you're just a kid, like you don't want advice. Sometimes I, I know that like in scripture, it says seek wise counsel, but even now when I get advice, sometimes I just like cross my arms. <laughs> like I don't want to hear that. And so, and I think especially as a teenager, right? Like, or as a young person, we feel that. And so I think a gift that people gave to me was they asked me hard questions mm. and that helped me kind of come to my own conclusions or, and I could tell the questions, like looking back now as an adult, I can tell those questions kind of steered me <laughs> towards the answers that they thought were good and that really were good. But I think if we can ask youth good, hard questions that kind of reveal, you know, their trauma and their pain points, instead of saying, you need to do this or you'd be better off this way or that way. It's kind of like making them the hero of their own story rather than us being the hero, us being the people who give. Because no one really like wants, wants a human hero. And if we allow the youth to become the hero of their own stories by kind of guiding them with these questions and helping them come to conclusions by asking good questions and just by meeting them where they are, that radical hospitality, walking with them, then... We're, we're putting them at the center of the story, making them their own hero, and then pointing them towards the one true hero. And us, we're just reflecting, reflecting yeah. him. I love that. So simple, yet so important and practical. Okay, for those who have loved listening to this, which I'm sure everyone has, and I'm sure everyone is interested in learning more, but can you tell us what projects you're working on? I know you have some retreats, so I'd love if you can kind of tell us a little bit more about that, as well as where we can hear more from you and where we can find your resources and the work you put out. Yeah, thank you. I started these writing retreats after I, I wrote my book, Fostered. And as I was writing that and putting the book out there, I had a lot of survivors of foster care, abuse, human trafficking coming to me. And they're like, I want to share my story like you have. How do I do this? And honestly, like the answer, it's it's a really complex answer because you you have to share from a place of healing, not from a place of hurting. And you really should have a community around you when you're sharing about these really dark times. Um, and I, I wanted to give them all of this guidance. I also wanted to put them in a community that would support them. And so, but I didn't know how to do that. And so I was like, well, what if I hosted retreats, like writing retreats? And I took them through the book writing process, but also took them through steps of healing. Because like, if you write a book, and I, I know you know this, if you write a book, completely unhealed and hurting, then you're going to like hurt people with that book. And we really have to write a book when we're healed so we can heal people with Mm -hmm. our writing and encourage them. And so I brought them, um, brought survivors, made this writing retreat and it is just above and beyond what I could. I mean, I, I, I hoped a lot of things, but it was above and beyond what I could have imagined. There was so much healing that took place and the women are, just they love the community that has been established there and there's so much just overflowing support for one another as they begin their storytelling journeys and their healing journeys and yeah thank you and where people can follow me find me it's just Tori Hope Peterson I share most most of my stuff on Instagram um and yeah, that's where they can keep up on the projects and what's happening. <laughs> you guys will link all of that in the show notes. We'll link her website, we'll link her Instagram and um, also her book fostered. If you're curious about this, or maybe find yourself in a support role to a foster child, or even just, you know, think you might want to get involved somehow. Definitely check out that book as well. 
Tori, thank you for being here. Thank you for so vulnerably sharing your story and the work that you're doing. I really appreciate all that you share and all that you educate on and also the advocacy that you're doing. It is so, so needed. And we just appreciate your role in the world. Oh, Jordan, you're so awesome. I I still remember when um, a friend in college came to me and said, you have to follow this girl on Instagram. Oh. She's awesome. And it was you. And now we're on the phone together. That's and amazing. I love that. Oh, full circle <laughs> moments. I love it so much. Yes. Oh, how fun. Well, thank you for being here. I mean, I'm so thankful the Lord connected us and I'm thankful for, for what you're doing. Truly, it is so needed. And I'm just always in awe of all that you're doing. Awesome. Thank you, Jordan. I'd love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show. So if you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of the show was by taking a screenshot of the episode you've tuned into and share it on your story. Tag me at Jordan Lee Dooley and tell me what your favorite quote or takeaway from today's show was so that I can see what's helping you and even feature what you share. This keeps me inspired and encouraged to keep creating new content And it's a great way to share something that your friends might love too. I can't wait to see you in Instagram world, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about the She Podcast or to get involved in Jordan's growing community, visit jordanleedooley.com. Thanks for joining in today. Until next time, remain committed to intentional choices that refine your heart, faith, health, and work because your story is much too important to settle for anything less. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.